Good morning, good afternoon and good evening from wherever in the world you're joining us. My name is Kobe Price and I'm the Vice President for Global Customer Management in Asia Pacific for CWT. We're thrilled to have you join us today for our Ready for the Road Building Employee Confidence session. We'll be discussing the return to travel from a traveller's perspective. What are they looking for from their organisation and their preferred suppliers when they get back on the road or in the air? While we know that there are some travellers out there who cannot wait to start travelling again, there may be others who feel that while your travel restrictions may have lifted, they may be looking for a little bit more information before they're ready to grab their passports and go. Today's sessions is not about pricing or negotiations. It's all about your most important asset, your travelling employees. So with that, please allow me to thank in advance for their time and introduce you to our panellists and moderator for today's session. From Novartis, we have Benji Concepcion, Global Head of Travel Operations. From Accor, Kerry Healy, Vice President of Sales, Asia Pacific. From Singapore Airlines, Angeline Koo, Vice President, Customer Experience. From CWT, Peter Brady, Vice President, Global Services, Solutions and Innovation from our Energy, Resource and Marine team. And our moderator from Sony Pictures and Networks India, Chief Human Resources Officer, Manu Wadwa. Thank you so much, Kobe, uh, for the introduction to the session. And it's a pleasure to be a part of uh, this gathering, which has uh, eminent speakers and panelists from all across Asia Pacific. As we talk about uh, really looking at the traveler behavior in our region across the globe, I'm hoping that together we'd be able to share insights and inspire each one of you who are listening into us to incorporate a perspective in your operating model, which make it easier for business and for personal pleasure to be taken in the due course of time. But before I open up uh, to the lovely set of panelists, uh, let me first share a story of what's happening in the industry that I represent and what's really uh, been the big game-changing perspective that we have seen in media and entertainment. Pre-COVID, uh, this industry only knew how to do business in person. Even for a one hour meeting, uh, you would literally have flights being taken from point A to point B and meetings happen because in-person connect was the biggest driver of doing business <coughs> in entertainment, as you can imagine. Our production facility was the whole world. Whether it is a tree in your backyard to a lovely ensemble of a hotel property, uh, to sites across the world, that is our production facility. So travel is by design something which is core to our operating model. Five months later, from March till now, the world has almost taken a spin for all of us, and I'm sure our panelists will share a perspective of their industry. In media and entertainment, we literally had a knee-jerk reaction because we did not know how to do business except in-person conversations except traveling extensively. And uh, as they say that necessity is the mother of invention, there is a lot of invention that has taken place, innovation that has taken place in the media industry. One, to give an example of uh, many of you who watch, uh, who wants to be a millionaire in your local languages across the globe. 
Uh, this is one show which is one of the most coveted across the globe and in India too. And to do the auditions every year of almost close to 3 million people, uh, the troops would travel throughout the country in 50, 60 odd cities and shortlist the participants who would join in on the show. This year, as they say, as I stated, uh, necessity, the business has to go on. That entire audition process has actually completely shifted to digital online presence. And first time ever, we actually had a 3x flow in of applicants, all of whom were auditioned through virtual technology. Some may say that, wow, this is something which is game changing. Uh, but at the same time, for a traveler, this literally is uh, a shift from what they were used to in terms of putting their backpacks and our business professionals going across the cities. So with this perspective shift on innovation uh, becoming the bare essential, it has definitely shifted our perspective of whether everything needs to happen by traveling. And that's the perspective which I hope to learn and also at the same point of time share with my fellow panelists to see what is bare essential travel. Uh, how can we make uh, businesses a lot more uh, comfortable, secured in their mindset to reopen their perspectives towards business travel? Because I do not believe the world can 100% operate from virtual patterns. There has to be a hybrid. And in order to enable that hybrid to happen, many of us will have to take that courageous act and create that sense of safety and security. So with that, um, I hope uh, to learn a lot from you, my dear panelists, and let's share a dialogue. And my first conversation thereon goes to Benjamin and Peter. Uh, Benjamin, I'm going to call you Benji for the rest of yep. the session. <laughs> no worries. Uh, Peter, uh, just share with us the perspective of, uh, since the lockdown scenario across the globe in your respective regions, what is happening on bare essential travels? What are you viewing as the trends now? And what do you see will change over the course of time? Sure, if I may uh, go first. So um, uh, for Novartis, uh, first and foremost, uh, we stress that uh, for Novartis, it's the health, the well-being, the safety of our associates, our patients, and those who travel on behalf of Novartis is really of utmost importance to us. So that really comes first. So we, we uh, continue to be an employee first company through a series of commitments that we have made to our associates with, with really their safety and, and well-being at heart uh, from committing that there are no COVID related layoffs uh, to really providing our associates with you know, expanded learning opportunities online, not only for our associates, but also for their families. So again, really taking care, again, their safety and, and health well-being really at uh, first and foremost. Our policy within Novartis is that there's no internal travel um, or internal meeting travel that requires international travel. So if uh, somebody needs to, to conduct something of this sort, they will rec really require a, a senior executive to approve this. Uh, domestic travel remains to be under the jurisdiction of the country leadership, but again, this is aligned to local government guidelines. Um, and when I spoke to several of my peers, um, surprisingly and not surprisingly enough, we have the same policy. Um, and, and just the last thing I'd like to share, based on a Hackett Group study, 
uh, or survey that was conducted uh, when business executives were asked about what is, you know, kind of long-term for business travel. So they were 80% of them responded that um, many of the organizations will shift away from business travel as, as organization really increase uh, focus on remote working uh, and mobile technologies to put to support their work um, uh, to support support remote working. But when asked about when do you think travel will resume, 57% of them said that travel will resume within three to six months. So really quite interesting. Um, and then about 32% uh, of them about beyond six months, 12 months. But I, I really think that this answer is going to change depending on, um, again, the situation with the vaccine and the, the COVID situation in various countries. So I'll just hand it over to Peter uh, to share his thoughts. Okay, great. Yeah, and thanks, Manu, and thank you, Benji. I think first and foremost, um, it's important to consider the purpose of business travel um, as an enabler um, of activity and growth. Um, at the moment, I think organisations um, need to take time to consider how the definition of essential travel, and Benji referred to this, may align or not with government policies on what is essential policy. In my energy resource and marine or ERM world, um, there are two types of travel. You know, one is the traditional transient business travel like many organizations have. And the second, of course, is the rotational crew or support travel, which is pri primarily to upstream work sites like a mine site or an offshore rig or platform, something like that. And given the world's ongoing energy consumption and the continuation of um, manufacturing and transport logistics, you know, many organizations and jurisdictions um, have deemed that energy resource and marine specialized skilled workers as critical to operations and therefore um, essential travelers. The second part of the question was really around you know, trends. And so given that in energy resource and marine, we really haven't stopped traveling, you know, what are some of the trends that we're seeing? And I think um, in the beginning, like when most organizations were really working to freeze travel, and what we saw was a huge rush, and there were there were two parts of that rush. The first one was um, the repatriation of anyone who was deemed non-essential to site, so those non-essential skilled workers being taken away from site and repatriated home. And then the second rush was really around a semi-permanent relocation of workers and sometimes their families um, to where they needed to be before borders closed. Um, and some other trends that we've seen is obviously a huge shift to char um, charter flights um, to, to replace regular paid or RPT commercial flights. And now we're actually managing anything between 10 to 20 charter flights per day, um, depending on the day. Um, we've managed a big shift away from standard hotel accommodation to more appropriate semi-permanent block space type accommodation. Um, we've worked to integrate new health um, screening procedures, and I'll deal with that again a little bit later in one of the um, other questions coming up. Thanks, Manu. Um, also, I think what's important here, and everyone might appreciate, is we've actually migrated away from any online bookings. And for the most part, all bookings now are offline. And there are two key reasons for that. 
One is so that we can accommodate and manage temporary manual procedures that the organisations may have for all bookings. And the second reason is so that we can actually find flights and flight connections given the amount of availability and the changes to availability. Um, the only last point that I would make here and importantly is that we've also seen a huge increase and we've played an active, a very active part in that in much closer cooperation and collaboration between key stakeholders, um, key stakeholder groups um, within company organisations. And for example, you know, much closer collaboration between travel and HR, um, health, safety and environment, um, operations, suppliers, sometimes unions, um, and in some cases governments. So, you know, that sort of collaboration and close working um, environment has, has paid dividends. Back, back to you, Manu. Thank you. Thanks a lot, uh, Benji and Peter. And you, you highlighted some very interesting points. One that stuck for me, and I experienced it very recently, is uh, that we shifted on bare essential travel because production shoots have to happen into taking the crews onto charter mode. So instead of doing commercial, we booked a charter, and from point A to point B, the entire crew travels together. Uh, while it is a little bit of an inconvenience for various individuals' personal and professional time matches, but people have come together. They have collaborated today. This is the time for my shoot. I'm going to go from distance A to distance B, and the charter helps you do that. Uh, so taking some of these measures forward, uh, while creativity is coming into picture, but what are both of you seeing as the biggest concerns and questions mm -hmm. coming from employees? Uh, around travel, around the changes that are being made on travel. And Angeline, Kerry, please feel free to add as well. Okay, I'll um, we'll switch it up, Benji. I'll, well, I'm still sure. talking, I'll go first mm -hmm. this time. Yeah. Okay. So there, there are two parts of that question. You know, what are the biggest concerns and questions for employees? And the second is, you know, what are the changes that have had to occur because of that? I think in the energy resource and marine world, um, the biggest concerns and questions have really been around, you know, what are the revised policies and procedures, um, and what does that actually mean to my rotational roster? And with that, what then are the impacts? Um, you know, what are the impacts that'll be there will be on myself and my family? And I think then secondary um, to those initial questions um, is the well, okay. What then also is the organisation able to do to ensure our health and well-being? And well-being is a is a very new theme, um, you know, that, that's really coming through here. And when we talk about well-being, we're talking about both mental health um, as well as physical health. Which leads to the second part of the question, which is really around um, what changes. You know, for us, um, <clears throat> been, safety's always been paramount to energy resource and marine organisations. Um, but what we're really seeing is um, that uplift in thinking and practice around employee wellbeing. Um, with temporary relocations um, and with 14-day isolation periods, there's also been real consideration given to the appropriate accommodation. I mentioned that shift in accommodation um, before home and really looking for accommodation that allows for mobility, so some fresh air, um, open space, and the allowance of pets, believe it or not. We've actually had pets be, be relocated as well. Um, we're also seeing things like gym equipment um, and barista coffee machines or, or barista coffee services you know, being bought in to you know accommodate people because they miss those sorts of you know things that they would normally have access to um, you know to in life and of course then and Manu you mentioned charters so I'll go back to charter again there's some real um, you know implications there particularly around cost 
Um, one of the other elements we had to deal with with regards to the charters is the seating configurations to allow for, to, for social distancing and of course those seating configurations you know, principally add to cost. Um, we've also seen um, health assessments, you know, initial health assessments by organisations with people boarding those charter flights. Um, and just as a last point before I quickly hand to Benji, um, we've also found that with commercial airports, their procedures, their restrictions and sometimes closures, we've actually had to work with charter companies to actually find alternate airstrips. And in some cases, we've actually used, we've actually used Defence Force facilities um, to enable that. So. You know, in addition to that principal change, you know, you've also seen a very significant knock-on impact to to ground logistics and services that have to support all of that. Um, Benji, um, Peter, I mean, I I, I could uh, actually just photocopy everything you said. Those are just solid points. Uh, um, I uh, two points I want I want to share. These are my experiences um, recently. Um, it, I, I think the number one uh, also uh, concern here is the complexity of the situation out there in terms of country requirements. Um, most recently, I dealt with uh, an associate of ours who was in a three-month assignment uh, in Basel, and uh, she has an Indian passport, and she needed to return to India. And the complexity of getting this organized, she, there were flights available in the UK. We can't route her in the UK because she doesn't have the necessary visa. We ended up driving her, getting a driver to drive her from Switzerland to Germany in order for her to catch a flight. And this flight, which is an Air India flight, is government controlled. CWT can't book it. Um, there is, again, the complexity. When she gets to the destination, she needs to be quarantined, um, and then she needs to hop on a domestic flight to get, I mean, it's really the hardship of, of, of traveling, um, the complexity of this. Another situation uh, we uh, experienced was the situation in Beijing when there was an outbreak. Our, uh, China was already you know, starting to travel for us. Uh, this was about a month ago, and suddenly there was an outbreak in Beijing, and suddenly we had to like stop all travel to Beijing, account for, um, you know, everybody who's in Beijing and, and trying to get them out of Beijing. So it's almost like uh, the start of the uh, the pandemic all over again. So it's it's really the uncertainty and and how fluid the situation is. Um, definitely a lot of the concerns is. You know, are, are we covered by our our travel insurance? Um, can we get a COVID test? Is that something that the uh, organization is going to reimburse us for? Um, all all of these and everything else that um, uh, that Peter mentioned. But again, I really think that it's really just right now the complexity and the uncertainty of the situation. Uh, with various countries and in various degrees of um, a kind of severity in terms of the, the state of COVID in their country. And Benji, it's Peter again. That's just a, a really great validation as to why we've seen all bookings move from an online environment to that offline environment, you know, yeah. so that all of those things can actually be managed. It's a great oh. point you made, Benji. No, thanks, thanks a lot. And I think, uh, you know, insights around uh, accommodation patterns shifting to uh, service coming closer to the doorstep of employees. I, I like the coffee, you know, idea. I would pick it up for, for my employees for sure to travel insurance becoming so, so critical.